guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for pushing play today. I am very honored to share today's episode with you. My guest today is Elizabeth Dames, an advanced sommelier who is such a passionate and engaging wine professional with over 10 years of experience in the hospitality industry. And the energy is contagious. She has only been in Atlanta for two years, but she is already making a huge impact on the level of education and the amount of access to wine education here. It's really inspiring. She also recently sat for the master examination for the Court of Master Sommeliers. So we talk about that whole experience and what it was like, as well as talk about the journey ahead. Her experience spans restaurants, hotels, catering, and private clubs. And since moving here from Pittsburgh to Atlanta, she is currently the wine director at Capital City Club, a really unique role that allows her to use her top-notch wine hospitality skills. You will get her take on what's exciting about the Atlanta wine community, and you will hopefully be inspired to continue your own path of wine education. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for being on the show. I suggest drinking a glass of champagne in her honor this week. Coming up for a Cork in the Road LLC, we have a lot of fun things populating on the calendar already for the fall, but first, heading to Argentina this week for some adventure and some inspiration. You can follow at a Cork in the Road on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram for travel updates. We'll be spending a weekend in Mendoza, and I haven't been there since 2011, so I'm thrilled to taste and explore and see how the industry has evolved since then. We also have some fun events coming up. You can visit www.acorkintheroad.com for all the information and ticket links. But September 21st, I'm heading back to Deep Roots in Roswell to teach the second session in my education series, where we will focus on domestic expressions of Rhone grape varieties. This lineup is basically an extension of my heart and soul part of which I left in the Rhone Valley a few years ago. We're also heading back to the Epicurean Hotel here in Midtown on September 29th for a blind tasting workshop, teaming up with Joe Herrig of Georgia Crown. It's going to be a night to sip outside your comfort zone with some side-by-side blinded comparisons. And then super excited to announce that I'm doing one of my signature wine versus beer dinners on October 28th at the usual. I will have a special guest competing against me for the beer pairings to my wine pairing. So this will be a wine and beer pairing menu that you don't want to miss. So sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know when tickets are available. Thank you so much for supporting the show and for all the Atlanta wine community love and support. The next episode is scheduled to release on September 14th, once I return from South America. Till then, cheers to Elizabeth, cheers to all of you, and please take care. Talk soon. So good to see you, Elizabeth. Thank you for being here. It's so great to be here. Thanks, Kelly. I appreciate it. You are in back to school super mom mode, aren't you? <sighs> yes, yes. We are back to school. Um, it's already been about three weeks, which is crazy. Up at 6.30 to get them on the bus and then all of the homework and yeah, school activities. We just did dance lessons tonight. Um, so yeah, back into back into the routine. Happy Monday of back to school. I love this because the last time I saw you, you were not in back to school mode and there was an entire 
table full of wines and Vietnamese food. That is the last time that I saw you. (laughs) Always the best of circumstances to have people who love eating and drinking together. And that's exactly what I do when I'm with you. It's true. That night was pretty epic. It's going to live in infamy for a while for me. Or we just have to repeat it multiple times. Uh, Also this, I concur. (laughs) (laughs) Because you always seem to enjoy drinking good wine with good people just as much as I do. Like We share that mutual love for that. But you are relatively new to Atlanta. And I did hear that your husband is a Penguins fan. And I'm not really sure how to feel about that coming from a Capitals house, but we're going to have to find a way to get along. Well, I can say that I couldn't care less about either team. So I'm neutral land. We'll just go drink wine in the corner while they fight. (laughs) This is really great. Sounds like a plan to me. I love that. How are you liking Atlanta so far? How are you making it feel like home? Yeah. Um, So yeah, we've been here. It's already been two years, which is really crazy, but we moved in the middle of 2020. So obviously a weird time to move and didn't know anybody. And um, so honestly, I'm so thankful for the wine community because you can kind of go to anywhere in the world and instantly have this group of people, this community that's going to accept you, no matter how different your backgrounds are, you always have this commonality. Um, And so I um, started the job that I'm at now with Capital City Club and then just kind of found some people on Instagram. And then there was, I have a wine community in Pittsburgh where I came from. And so when I told them I was moving, they gave me a handful of names of people in the city and they were like, reach out to these people. It was a little bit weird though, because no one was tasting, no one was having gatherings, no one was doing any of those things. And so a lot of it was virtual, um, and which I was happy for anything any sort of connection. And I think, you know, nowadays those connections online, you know, in Instagram or whatever are much more prevalent. And so there's a lot of people I've never even met in person yet. Yet, I'm going to say yet because slowly but surely I'm meeting all these people. But um, yeah, so it was a lot of that, just reaching out and trying to get involved as much as possible. And we we love it. Um, I couldn't be happier. We're definitely going to be here for the foreseeable future. It's great people. The sun shines way more here than it does in Pittsburgh. Um, it's a bigger market, but it's not overwhelmingly large like New York or San Francisco. And so, yeah, so we're here and we love it. And you moved here in the middle of the pandemic and you still say that. Like that to me, I'm like, you did something right to dive in. And it sounds like a lot of these connections are through wine. So what a beautiful way to get right into the city and find your little community, which I'm glad I found you through wine too. I think I met you virtually first as well. Mm -hmm. So what a crazy time that that is normal to be doing that. But your resume is so impressive from hotels to dining to catering, plus so many academic accomplishments in wine. It's wild. Would you say that you've always been a quote, good student. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you. You're very kind. Um, I think we're all our own worst enemies. I look at my resume and think, "Ah, it's fine, whatever. Um, But thank you. So you're sweet. Um, I definitely excel in the academic sort of facet. Um, It's also that kind of, you put in the work and then you get that immediate reward most of the time. (laughs) But I was definitely always um, a good student wanting to get my work done early on, you know, never turned anything late, which is funny when I met my husband, he is not that kind of person. And so it always gave me anxiety when we were in college together and he would not 
be turning papers in or would stay up overnight to get something finished. And, you know, mine was turned in a week prior. Um, So, yeah, so I've definitely always been this, you know, type A good academic rule follower. And so um, wine certifications kind of neatly fit into that box for me. It's like a a safety blanket (laughs) to always have a goal, but then to always, you know, continuing to learn and continuing to have that that gratification of of getting that pin. This does lend itself well to staying on track with studying for wine. I'm not surprised for one second. What intrigues you though most about the path that you're currently on for wine education? What keeps you coming back for it? Oh, um, that's a really good question. Um, I definitely, I operate best when my schedule is filled. Like if I am not studying, if you know, not working out regularly and, you know, if I have all, all day long or like an entire weekend where I, I don't have to get everything done, like I, I somehow waste a ton of time. And so I have a tendency to fill my time up every minute of the day. And I, you know, I live and die by my calendar. Um, I mean, obviously it's just, a lot of the passion for it, right? Like I love to study wine. I love to talk about wine. I love to, I really have found out that I really like soil. Like that is what I really, I'm always gravitating towards because it's like this really, I wasn't big into science when I was in like growing up and into into college. I really wasn't into science very much. And then as I've gotten deeper into my studies with wine, I've I've figured out that there's a whole lot of science involved, um, a lot of chemistry, and then you know this geology piece that really it's just really intriguing to me. And so I always find that I'm I'm really curious about why a certain soil is the way it is to then reflect into the glass. And so that keeps me coming back. And it's also a bit about the camaraderie. That's probably the most important part for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm studying currently with the Court of Master Sommeliers and you can't do that alone. Um, and I actually kind of love that. You know, you there are other, not necessarily wine things, because I think all of our wine studies are done better collectively, but just other ventures in life you can do alone and you can pass it and you can get your thing. And, and, you know, that's great and great for those people. But for me, it's about the community. It's about the camaraderie. It's about meeting people. And I think that's what those of us who are geeks about wine really love that it brings people together. And I love the studying together, the tasting together, the learning together. And I also love the aspect of mentorship. Um, where I would not have gotten to the place that I have gotten without mentors in my career. And so that's also a really big thing for me is to try to do that for others now that I feel like I've gotten to a place where I can now give back. And so that also keeps me coming back. So there's a lot of different facets of of why I keep diving deeper because there's always something to learn. Well, and you built a community right away through that wine and it brought you to a whole new city and you still had that constant. So you saying that those multiple aspects keep you connected and intrigued and feeling like you're always pushing for something more. It makes a lot of sense to me, but I'm laughing about the soil because your role right now is about the furthest away in wine. You're at the very end of the service chain, my friend, but it sounds really, really cool. Wine director, at Capital City Club. For those who are listening who may not know about this club, 
Tell me about it. How do you describe where you work? So it is a private club in Atlanta, and we were founded in 1883, so we've been around for a minute. And we have three different properties. Um, we have a city club that's located downtown right by Centennial Park. Then we have a country club, which is in the Brookhaven area, so close to Buckhead. And then there's also a golf club that's located in Crabapple. And we have about 2,000 members. Um, so total body count is somewhere in the six to 7,000 if you include all the family members and everything. Um, so it is a private um, membership. So, you know, you have to be a member in order to come on property, but you can come on as a guest, do all sorts of events and poolside things and fine dining things downtown, um, food banquet department, of course, um, and I'm in charge of all the wine for all three of their properties. And I do the wine lists for um, for them, all they're by the glass, by the bottle. And then I do, I handle all of their events. So any sort of wine event, anybody's in town, you know, tastings, we do tastings, we do sit down dinners, we do cocktail classes, we do, you know, any sort of wine or beverage event we do. Um, and then I also handle in tandem with our director of communications, I put out a lot of Instagram videos and various things to try to market these events. So I handle that, but with, with her as well. So I'm certainly not doing that alone. Um, and we also have a pretty robust wine locker program. So you, they can kind of buy their own lockers and they can either bring them from home or I'll also do what we call seller alerts. And it'll be sort of like a, like a wine club, basically like, Hey, here's this really cool bottling that we've got some allocation for, and you can buy it and put it in your locker to drink it at the club. Um, so I manage all of those inventory as well as the inventory that the, the club itself actually carries. Wow. That is intriguing because you get to meet a lot of different people this way again through wine. But what kind of wines would you say you're working with? What is your clientele drinking? Um, the fun thing about working in private clubs is that you can kind of be as creative as you want to be. And so you can kind of work with everything to an extent. Obviously, there's a little bit of a caveat within that. Um, so certainly the lion's share of what we're working with is California driven, um, but they also drink a lot of Oregon. You know, they're big into Oregon Pinot Noirs for sure a whole lot of Italian wines, quite a bit of French wines, mostly in the Bordeaux camp, um, but certainly Champagne, Burgundy, um, Rhone Valley, those sorts of things. And then outside of that, I have to do a little bit of the legwork. Um, and I've mentioned this earlier, but I had a really good mentor. Um, the GM of the club I used to work for in Pittsburgh told me, it's our job to give them what they didn't know they wanted. And so I took that and ran with it because though those areas are wonderful and I love wines from those places, I see my role as, as teaching them and showing them the rest of the world. And so the nice thing is at clubs is we don't necessarily have to worry quite so much about our cost of goods and like our budget because our goal at the end of the year is to hit zero. So we're not trying to make money. We're not for profit. And so in that world, I get to kind of play a little bit because I don't have to worry so much about that. And so I'll frequently do, I call them taste like a Psalm little education events where I'll pick, you know, four to six wines and we'll talk through stuff. So, you know, I did sparkling around the world. Obviously we did Pinot around the world, but I purposefully didn't pick a California or a red Burgundy. I did like Alsace in Germany. And I think I did a South African one, you know, it's like, I purposefully didn't pick 
things in their wheelhouse that they're automatically going to choose. Um, and then we also have an eight bottle animatic system, like a Cuvenet system. And I will pick crazy themes. And that way, you know, if they don't sell all that much, it's still helping teach them a little bit, but the wines aren't going bad. So the lion shares California, France, Italy, but I've nudged them into Austria and South Africa, um, Australia. Um, so it's like my goal is to is to teach them um, some new places that I think that they would really love. If you like this, try this. And if they follow you enough, they trust you enough. And so it's like, how is Elizabeth going to take me out of my comfort zone today? They're trusting you with that process, but you are in a role where you can create these longer term relationships. And the way that you're talking about this as bringing a lot of your skill sets together, it seems like you're combining your experience with hospitality with your incredible, vast knowledge of wine. So when you put them together, you get this concept of wine hospitality. What is a marker of success for you? Like when you have a good shift at work, like what is good wine hospitality? That's, I'm so <laughs> glad that you brought up hospitality because I think it's something that if you're not necessarily working in the hospitality industry that we you know, maybe don't necessarily understand or know. Um, and I think that good wine hospitality is kind of what I said earlier is 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 A, giving people what they want, right? We give them wine that they know or that they know that they like or a similar, okay, oh, you like this Cabernet from this place? Great, well, let's try this Cabernet. Great, perfect. But it's also being a good listener and I think being a good teacher. Um, I think that's that's the kind of role that I've taken it as because you can be a good wine director and let, and just stock what they know and they'll be happy. But there's something so magical about that light bulb that goes off with somebody when you've given them. So I like to do, like if somebody likes California Cabernet, a lot of times I like to try them on um, Ribera del Duero from Spain um, because it's usually aged in French oak. It's a very warm region. So you're getting that ripe richness that they like. I like to try to like bridge that gap and, and have that light bulb go off for them is so magical. And then they have now also learned something that they can then pass on to someone else. And I think that even if you're not in a teaching role, I think human nature, I think that we tend to really like to teach other people things. I think that's kind of like the basis of our entire society. And so I have seen so many people, members come in who, you know, I didn't teach them something. They came from a winery or they came from a region and they were like, Elizabeth, listen to what we learned. And I think that that piece of it is really part of hospitality, um, even though it's not necessarily in that kind of traditional box. And so for me, hospitality, a good night on the floor or a good day of work is, is having that moment of either I have just served them a wine that they've had a hundred times before, but they are just so thrilled that I am there to be there with them, to serve it for them. Or it's to have that moment of, hey, are you in the mood for something slightly different, but that I promise you're going to love? And if they go on that ride with me, the joy in their eyes when they have that experience is like nothing else. And so for me, that's that's hospitality in my role currently. And the way that you're talking about it is bringing that joy even through today in our conversation. So I'm imagining that that passes directly 
to your clients and your customers. And I know that your role at the club is not the only way that you're connecting with people. I heard that you have your own company as well, doing all kinds of things. You do consulting for sellers. This is so cool. What other services have you branched out to do personally that take you a little bit outside of your day-to-day role? Yeah. So I do all kinds of things. During the kind of peak of the pandemic, there was a whole lot of virtual tastings. And I actually still do quite a few of those because, you know, companies that have employees all over the country, they found that that was actually a really great way to connect and have, you know, a little mini happy hour for their employees. Um, So I do a lot of virtual tastings. I do in-home dinners as well. Um, as, as you already mentioned, I do seller consultations and help people purchase for their sellers. Um, I recently did a project. It was kind of like a multi-event project, if you will. So they wanted me to help them build out their seller, but also then tie in three different dinners into the wines that I was helping them bring into their seller. It was a really fun kind of like way, like normally it's we want to do a dinner or we want to have you come kind of look at our cellar and help us organize and, you know, fill in some holes. And this was a really fun way to kind of combine those two things. And yeah, that's kind of the basis of what the extras, the non, non-Capital City Club things that I do. Um, but anytime anybody needs anything with wine, I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I'm in. <laughs> she will do anything that involves making people happy through wine. I feel like wine is just a part of your life at every step of the way. That's the type of person I like to talk to about wine with and the person I like to study with because that means that like you're always thinking about it. Even if we're not talking about it, you're probably still thinking about wine. (laughs) Yes, indeed. I've found found that the deeper I've gotten into my studies, you'll just sort of like notice like street names and random like products in the grocery store that jump out at you and your brain instantly goes to wine things. But then when you're around non-wine industry people and you just automatically always bring the conversation back to wine it people do sort of look at you a little weird (laughs) i mean they might look at you weird but you're gonna have a good conversation that's been happening to me a lot lately with maybe my for a little bit their lack of social skills during covid and like not being out in the pandemic but then i'm i'm finding my comfort zone relates to conversations involving wine. I can talk to anybody about wine. So it's almost like it's my own selfish way of making the conversation more comfortable. I'm like, how can we talk about wine? Because that is my, that's my wheelhouse. I love it. That's perfect. I'm going to use that from now on. (laughs) I wouldn't be ashamed of it. No shame, no shame in bringing up wine all the time. And I met you because of wine here in Atlanta, doing a lot of blind tasting groups. But I also see you blind tasting quite often here. And you're even hosting your own blind tastings now for other wine professionals. How does it feel to see those people that you're working with improve each week? Oh my gosh, it's the best. (laughs) There have been so many times when I've been going, you know, I've been kind of new to the thing and going to my tasting group, being terrified and not feeling confident what I'm doing. And I've heard those people, my mentors, talking about how the the best feeling isn't necessarily when you get all of the wines correct, or the best feeling isn't necessarily when you pass a test that has a blind tasting portion. The best feeling is when people you have helped past those things or you see them improving. And I can absolutely attest that when you can see it clicking or when the advice that you're giving that has worked for you, you see it working for them. I I can't tell you 
how amazing that is. Um, I had the really fabulous opportunity to maitre d for the most recent certified exam for the Court of Master Sommeliers in Atlanta a couple weeks ago. And watching the people who have been coming to my tasting group receive their pin and just be so proud of themselves, I was like a proud mama. Like it, it really was better than any time I've ever passed an exam. It was just so like, like the hair on my arms right now is actually raising up because it just, it's so magical to watch people work really hard and to come alongside them and be a part of their journey. It's, it's the best. Do you ever feel residual nerves from this? Like you weren't even part of the exam. Were you nervous? I didn't sleep the night before. <laughs> I wasn't even taking an exam and had pre-exam nerves because you just want these people to do that well. Yeah. Well, because it's like, you know, there are definitely nerves involved. And so it's like, I've seen these people week after week come in and put the work in and see them excelling and knowing that they are capable of it. And so you definitely get that residual nerves of you know, hoping that they can shine and do their best on that day. And so, you know, I know some people don't do well with nerves. And so there's, there was definitely some like protective mama bear instincts, but I had to keep my mouth shut and treat everybody the same, whether I knew them or not. So <laughs> it was tough. And did everybody that you wanted to do well, do well? Yes, they did. <laughs> it was, I, I really, I couldn't have been prouder that day. There was, I think it was seven people at the exam that um, came to tasting and they all passed. And it was, and frankly, that exam, they, we, there were so many people that passed that exam. The, the pass rate was way higher than, than normal. So I was really proud of the Atlanta group. And there were some people that were from Alabama and other places that weren't from here, but it was a really cool exam to see. So noticeably people were passing and doing really well and excelling in that. Do you have any reason why that might be? Well, that's an interesting question. I certainly can't speak to the people that I didn't know. I, do, I did chat with a couple of the people from Alabama, um, and there actually were a couple women. Um, and so I, you know, I always like to try to, I like to talk to everybody, but I, you know, certainly like to try to chat with the ladies who are there. And they, they seem to have a good group. And so they seemed quite prepared. And then I know from our group, we we put in a lot of extra work with like mock service exams and making sure that people were reading the steps of service on the court's website and all of that sort of a thing. And, you know, the group of candidates themselves were obviously stellar and they put in the work, you know, that's, you're the only one when you're sitting for an exam, you're the one who has to put in the work. Obviously it takes a community and a team. And I think, you know, I can't, like I said, I can't speak to the people in from Alabama, though I do think they have um, a really wonderful group there. For sure here in Atlanta, it's it's the community that's helping each other do these things um, and, and setting up the expectations before you go into the exam. You can absolutely tell the people who didn't have that support and didn't know what to expect versus the people who prepared and had people who've taken these exams before. Um, so, you know, I know in my blind tasting group, we were doing mock service exams, writing, you know, fake tests for them. Obviously, we were doing blind tasting. Um, and then Eric Crane with Empire Director of Education came in and helped. And I know he helped outside his own at his location. I know Clark Anderson um, helped as well with blind tastings and service. One at the Chastain, hugely instrumental. Ryan Mullins. I mean, there's just like a number of people. I'm sure that I've skipped several. And I apologize if I've missed really instrumental mentors in this city. But it, I know it was a collective effort. And a lot of the people 
were getting help from a lot of places. And it it really showed in the exam that they knew exactly what to expect and they knew exactly what to do. I mean, I only saw the service portion, so I didn't see the blind tasting in the the written part. But in service, you could absolutely tell that they were prepared. And it, it paid off in numbers. It paid off in actual tangible passing of the exam. Yes. Hearing what you you just described about Atlanta and knowing that all these tasting groups are happening and how much you personally enjoy helping people through this process, it's very, very exciting for me to hear that. For our community, for all the people who are studying wine, and there are people like you saying, jump in, we'll be there to support you, whatever you need. Exactly. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. Okay, but now I have to pass on my own humongous congratulations to you because I know that you just had a tremendous accomplishment as well. So as we're talking about you being a mentor for everybody else, you are personally on your own journey and you did one of the biggest things in wine. You sat for that master sommelier exam. You had the entire Atlanta wine community on that plane with you to Texas. I'm pretty sure. I absolutely did. Oh my gosh. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy thing. I'm super, super thankful I have done it. Um, but I absolutely had the entire Atlanta community with me, which really made it so much better. I received, I don't know, probably 15 to 20 like encouragement videos the day before the exam, which I was a bundle of hot mess nerves like hot mess. <laughs> and I got all of those photos and videos of encouragement and like hugs. And it, and it, there was like a bottle of champagne sent to my room. Shout out Pepe. Um, yeah. With like a note of like, Hey, you can do it. The Atlanta community is pulling for you. Like just the most overwhelming support I could have never imagined. You've said, I have only been here for two years and just to have this like blanket of people that was rooting for me and just proud of me for even being there was it was so beautiful I was like crying in my hotel room I couldn't get it together because it just was so touching because the reason I do this is to be with really awesome people so and they all were there with you rooting you on virtually from afar for sure how are you feeling now though how are you feeling you know I feel proud of myself um I did not pass the exam which I'm going to say this, I guess, this is the first time I have failed anything in my entire life, <laughs> which is, seems weird um, to say out loud. And it was a really fantastic experience. I mean, the exam itself was terrifying. It's a verbal exam. So it was just the theory portion. It's a verbal exam. And it was terrifying to be sitting across from two master sommeliers asking you questions and I am super type A. We talked about, I really like to excel academically. I really like to pass things and get that like, you did it. Good job. Like feedback. And it was really, really tough for me to question after question, not know the answer slash not even know what we're talking about. <laughs> um, but to remain composed, I was able to keep my composure and to try to come up with a educated guess for every single question and then walking out of the exam realizing I did know quite a few answers and so I feel really proud of what I have done but it has also 
very competitive. <laughs> I played collegiate volleyball and um, I'm a runner and I'm very competitive. And so that, that, okay, you didn't quite hit the mark has really lit a study fire like I have never experienced, which is actually really great. I actually really am pleased. Um, the one thing I don't love about myself is I have to have that kind of carrot dangling in front of me to keep me really motivated to study. Otherwise, weeks and months go by and I haven't cracked a book or I haven't read a website or anything. And so I don't love that about myself, which is part of the reason why I keep doing all these certifications to keep me honest with the thing I actually want to do, which is learn. Um, and so I have, I'm already back into the study schedule. I'm planning to study every day. Um, so last year, my study was a bit chaotic and somewhat manic. It was, I was in a bit of a panic at the thought of sitting for this exam. I, I, I didn't feel like I deserved to be there. I've watched so many people who I immensely respect fail this exam for years. And so it feels like this impossible thing. And so I was just really manically trying to cram as much information in my brain as possible. My approach this year is going to be it's cathartic. I get up, I get my coffee, and it is now your study time. You know, we talk, my kids are in school, so it's quiet in the morning, and I have uninterrupted time now, which I did not have while I was prepping for advanced. And so it's like, I have this like really beautiful carved out time every day, and it's going to just be part of who I am. I'm pleased to sit down for an hour, two hours, however long it can be, and it's going to be cathartic this year. That's the goal. Not panic mode. You are going to be collected and calm while this information absorbs into you. In the morning, having your coffee, it's part of your routine and you're just having that be part of your life. Again, wine intercepting with all the other things in life, but this way you now have experience for what that felt like. So the next time you're in that situation, it's going to feel different. But was this time what you expected or was it a whole different beast? Um, that's a really good question. So a lot of people had tried to prepare me, gave me advice on what to expect. And I tr really tried to internalize that. <laughs> I really tried. Um, you know, some of the advice was, you know, make sure you, you're allowed to ask them to repeat the question one time and you're allowed to ask them to spell the question one time. And so um, the advice was have them repeat it. Do, do that. Take take that extra little bit of time to try to think through the question. Some of the other advice was just be confident in what you know and, you know, take deep breaths. If you start to feel like you're spiraling out of control, like reset your brain. Um, there was a lot of, you know, kind of anxiety techniques that I were, you know, some tapping techniques and breathing techniques and those sorts of things. So I tried to like internalize all of that, but I honestly, it I couldn't have really prepared for what it was going to feel like truly to be in that room. Um, and so it, yes, it was kind of what I expected, but also no, um, because it was just so surreal to be in that room. Um, because I'd started my wine career kind of right as that Psalm documentary came out that was on Netflix, but now is on Psalm TV. And I remember watching that documentary and being like, what on earth, how they are magicians like this is this is sorcery and so it was really surreal to be in the room and so I think part of that also just uh, it was always going to be my journey to have to sit this multiple times just to you know it's part of the journey like you said I'm going to walk back into that room next year and feel ex totally different I'm sure I'll still be totally nervous and you know 
who knows if I'll pass, but I'll at least have the experience of knowing that I survived the year before. The the master sommeliers, at least the ones that I have come into contact with, truly do want you to pass this test. Um, they, they don't enjoy telling people that they have failed. And so just trying to take all of that previous experience and then taking all of that hard work that I'm going to do this year into that exam with me is going to help, I think, make the process easier. You are mentally and emotionally preparing already. I can hear it. I can just hear the way that you're thinking about it. And yes, you're still going to have nerves. If you didn't care, you wouldn't have nerves. You care. So it's going to be that way. But now you have an experience of what to maybe mentally prepare yourself to encounter while you're facing that. But what is next on the journey? Is it retaking theory? Does tasting come in there? Kind of walk me through what's next on this process. Sure. Yes. So when, and they actually just changed it for advanced as well. Um, Previously, it used to be you took all three sections. So theory, service, blind tasting at once, but you have to pass theory before you get invited to sit for service and blind tasting. So those who passed theory in July will sit, I think it's coming up in a week or so, um, they'll sit in Portland, Oregon for blind tasting and service. And I do not get to do that yet because I have not passed theory. So I will wait until December when they will open the application process. I'll submit my intent and then I'll find out probably in March whether I have gotten a seat. So theoretically, I could not get a seat next year. They could waitlist me um, just due to the volume of candidates who would like to sit. Um, But if I get a seat, then yes, I will sit for theory again next year. And then if I pass theory, then I'll get invited to the next portions. Um, So I'm definitely already into my study calendar for that. But I have also toyed with doing another one of the Wine Scholar Guild certifications. I've talked for a while now about wanting to do the Master Champagne course. Um, Can you please do that? Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Champagne is my favorite thing to study. And with the calendar that I have, I only get a week to prep for champagne for the calendar with the master theory schedule. So I'm like, okay, but I want a year of champagne. (laughs) So I've thought about that. I've also thought about the master burgundy they have. But honestly, what I should do is either the Italian wine scholar or the Spanish wine scholar, because I'm definitely weaker in those. I'd love to study France and Italy just makes my head hurt. I love the wine, but it's so hard to study. And so I probably should use get that extra carrot to try to force myself into learning more about those places. (laughs) Intuitively knowing yourself, being like, I really like champagne. I'd knock that out of the park. But maybe my gap to fill is elsewhere. No, maybe you just do it all, Elizabeth. I mean, you're already studying for the big one. Yeah, and honestly, I love, I did French Wine Scholar two years ago. It was in the middle of moving. So yeah, 2020. And their their content and study materials are fantastic. Really, really fantastic. Um, So I I really just want all their books um, because they're so great. So I probably will at some point. This is such a big deal, though. I do not want to undercut how big of a deal it is that you were even there to sit for that exam. Just the honor of making the FR because so many people who really do study wine and pursue it don't get to where you got. So that alone was an accomplishment. And what? You were like, what, one of how many women to take the exam this time? There were nine women out of 92 candidates. Okay, but when you told me this, I think my jaw just kind of dropped because that is not what I expected you to say. And 
again, I'm going to ask you probably a bigger question, but like, why do you think that is? What what can we collectively do to support more women who are interested in wine? Because I can tell you the ratio of interest in wine is not that. So what can we do to improve the access point for women who want to pursue that level of education? Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something that we need to change. And it's it's something that the court, at least the America chapter, I can't speak to the European chapter, but I know that they are aware that it is a huge discrepancy. Although I have to say, was the only time when I did the advanced course was the only time there was 120 of us. And I think, it, you know, 10, 15 women, the men had a line to the bathroom and the women did not. <laughs> we were like oh silver God. lining, but no. Okay. Wow. But in all oh seriousness, I mean, you're just pointing out facts in all seriousness. No, um, we absolutely need to, um, to change that. And some of the things that I have done personally, I am a mentor with the Batonage Forum, um, which is a, a mentorship program specifically for women and people who identify as woman. Um, and so that has been a really great way for me to try to find other women. Um, because I think, you know, for me in the industry that I'm in particularly, it also kind of skews male in, in the private club world, particularly in the management areas. Um, and so I don't tend to come in contact with them like organically. And so I wanted to be pretty intentional about finding women to help mentor because I definitely did not have that when I was coming up through the ranks. And so I did level one, which was kind of like you do, you have a group of people and it was really cool because it was all different backgrounds and all different interests. And then I'm currently doing level two right now. And so there's this really fabulous girl in Detroit who I'm helping mentor and she is in private clubs and has just taken her level one. And so she and I are um, kind of back and forth chatting a lot. Um, and so I think that, that these there's a lot that's going on in our industry, these organizations that are, are coming out. And there's, you know, certainly more for the BIPOC people and, you know, people who are underrepresented in the wine world, um, you know, Roots Fund and Wine Unify and all of these really fabulous organizations. And so I think, you know, we need more of those. We need to kind of amplify those voices. Um, and then, you know, other things that I've done as well is like anytime at these exams, I'm con trying to connect with them and trying to, you know, connect on Instagram or, you know, whatever it is, trying to get people together. Even if, you know, I'm not in their market, you know, this girl in Detroit, I don't get to see her, but I connected her with Madeline Trafon, who is the first female master sommelier, right? So it's like, whatever we can do to be amplifying these voices that we aren't seeing all over the place is, is how we, how we start the process, but it's going to take it's going to take a while. The fact that you are doing that kind of work is exactly the direction that I think we need to go. You're talking about not only increasing like opportunities for knowledge, but those opportunities for the community support, because you just mentioned that that type of study group in Atlanta helped so many people pass for the certified. So let's have that happen, even though it can be sometimes a network across on virtual platforms, having those people, you just told me, matters. Connections matter. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that representation matters to see people like yourself doing the same sorts of things that you want to be doing really helps encourage you to want to keep on the path. So great because I look around here in the study groups in Atlanta and I think there are so many women that I look up to that are owning their own wine shops and killing it in leadership groups. Like I see this a lot. So what excites you about the Atlanta wine community right now from where you started and where we're headed? 
Oh my goodness. There are just so many, so many fabulous things happening um, all over the place. You know, there's new restaurants, new wine bars, new study groups happening, new, new people. Um, do shout out to Chelsea Young. She was like the first wine person I saw on Instagram and we started chatting and she's got this super awesome group me that you and I are part of. And it's like, how many people now? 120? 100 plus. 100 yeah. plus. <laughs> and it's this awesome chat and, hey, I need this. Or, hey, who needs help? Or, hey, let's get a group together and drink great wine and eat Vietnamese food. And, hey, yeah. let's encourage each other. And, hey, like that is super awesome. We've got new education things popping up. We just had SOMCON here in Atlanta. I don't know if that's happened previous, but I've never lived in a market that had SOMCON come to it, didn't come to Pittsburgh before. So that's really fantastic. Um, you've got, you know, all these people who are taking these certifications and becoming more savvy including even just like consumers I've seen have been, you know, there's a lot of club members that are like, yeah, I just took my W set three and it was great. And let's talk about it. And so you've got, you know, you're kind of your, your a markets, if you will, right? Like New York, San Francisco, Chicago, and like Atlanta has never really been a part of that conversation, at least not from what I have seen previous, but I think that the momentum that that I have seen in the two years I've been here, and I'm sure it was happening before I got here, of this fabulous community that was existing before I was here, the momentum that is is happening and gaining and like through like your podcast, I know that that has really been a huge, like seriously, a huge, amazing thing to help amplify the voices of Atlanta, because this is a wealth of information and a wealth of passion. Um, if there's one thing I can describe of the Atlanta market, it's its passion. Um, and it's savvy and it's exciting to be a part of, because I think if we keep pushing the pedal to the metal in 10 years, who knows where we're going to be, you know? So... You are too kind. Thank you for the shout out because I said all these other things and I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And then you get to that and I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, you're, this is important what you're doing. Well, I appreciate that because I do think that so much is happening here, whether people know about it or not. So anytime that people like you are in a position to tell other people who may travel here from out of the state and you're like, oh, like, look at all this wine education that's happening here. Or you're connecting with people that are studying for the master exam, but they don't know what's happening in Atlanta. So we can all be ambassadors. It's really, really cool to have you part of all of that. And then I'm thinking of like, okay, so your wine knowledge is just incredible, but you also have to have a place that you have not been yet, that you have read immense things about what's your dream destination where do you need to go to put the puzzle pieces together from your knowledge to the actual place where's elizabeth going next you know i have done an immense amount of study from the books and from the internet and google earth uh, thank goodness for google earth i don't know how people studied before that because you can actually zoom in and see the vineyards and the rivers and the mountains and whatnot um oh, no way. yeah i use it all the time i use it all the time when i can't find a map that is sufficient. I'm like, all right, we're going in to find exactly where Pickler is and where that Danube River is. Um, but oh gosh, the problem is, is I want to go to too many places. Ugh, I probably am going to put Burgundy at the top of the list for somewhere that I have not been because it is so intricate when you're trying to learn it. 
and the difference in you know one row of vines to the next as i understand it theoretically from a book it's so hard to learn and to remember and so being in burgundy i think would be hugely helpful to really start to understand the region you know a lot of i spent a lot of my career afraid to study burgundy because it's so intimidatingly in depth and you know minute in its subtlety which is also what makes it mythical and magical um so i think that that is at the top of my list of places that i need to get to to really to really start to understand the region truly you mentioned you love soil so trust me i'm not surprised that that is your answer when you're thinking about soil it's a masterclass there so i think i want to see you sitting in a vineyard in burgundy it's going to happen i just don't know when but it's going to happen are you drinking a lot of Burgundy at home. What's on your table at dinner when you have a moment to drink some really good wine? Um, you know, I wish that I could say that I drank a lot of Burgundy. Most of it is out of my budget. <laughs> Although that's not necessarily true because I do drink a lot of Chablis. Um, and so technically that is in Burgundy. That's probably of the of Burgundy, that's probably what I drink most of. But I'm pretty I'm pretty typical when it comes to drinking as far as typical sommelier like obsession. Champagne and Riesling. You know, I, um, it's not outside the box in any way, but what can I say? I, when I don't want to think about what I want to drink, that's what I'm reaching for. I will though throw in one slight curveball, and this is a shout out to my mentor in Pittsburgh, John Wayback. If you're ever listening to this, this one's for you. Um, Savoie in central east part of France, kind of in the Alpine country, predominantly from the grape Jacquere. Um, I, there's just something really magical about those wines. They're, you, they're just decidedly Alpine. They're cool and they're crisp and it's these just fresh, vibrant fruits and like lilies and, you know, white flowers and this all, there's always this gorgeous streak of minerality that is all, in any wine that I love to drink, there's just this predominant flavor of minerality. Gets back to that soil thing. Um, and then there's just like this this vibrancy, this mouth-watering quality. Um, and I tend to not love oak in my wines, and a lot of Alpine wines tend to not have a lot of oak on them as well. And so that's that's also, and the nice thing about those wines is they're not super expensive. Um, you know, you can get a beautiful bottle of Savoie for 15 bucks. Yeah. So that's, that'll be my not typical sommelier answer is I like to drink Savoie. But drinking Riesling and champagne is nothing to be ashamed of. I'm like, well, obviously that's delicious. If it brings you joy, you drink it. Did you drink champagne right after your master psalm exam right after um so i actually was so you get different time slots um and i was the very last time to go and so there were actually four of us from atlanta who sat for the exam and so the three of them had already finished and then they actually make you wait in a sequester room so they they weren't partying all day long after their exam they were in the sequester room but then they had as soon as we went in they got out of their sequester room um, and so they went and were in one of the hotel rooms and they were drinking. And so I, I got, came out and uh, June Lim texted me and said, we're in this hotel room, come. And I, so I was like, I didn't even have time to like take my suit jacket off or anything. I just went straight up to this hotel room and they handed me a glass of uh, Mouton Blanc. 
yeah, I'm not sure who brought that. I don't know if it was Adam Puccio or if it was June. I, I'm not sure who, but thank you. Uh, as you do after the master SOM exam, as yes. you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, historically they serve Krug at the, the reception afterwards. Um, so we did get to drink some Krug, which was lovely. It was their current, um, Grand Cuvée. I forget. I think it's like the 167th edition might be 168th. And then we went to Papa's brother's steakhouse afterwards and had ample amounts of wine. So I, I flew home a little bit hungover on Tuesday. <laughs> Again, as you do after taking the exam. Oh my gosh. But so you were still able to have some joy in wine because if like you study something so much, sometimes a little bit of this expectation, like you won't enjoy it as much comes, comes along with that. But you're telling me you wake up every morning, you're studying wine, you're studying beyond just like the flavors and the blind tasting in that aspect, but like the history, the places, the people, all of that. And you still want to reach for a bottle of wine at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. There are very few things I feel like where that's the case. It can happen when you're so entrenched in something, it kind of pulls you away from it but that hasn't happened to you. You are still drinking your wine in the evenings. Oh, heck yeah. And I will till the day I die. Thank goodness for that. Cause then we can always find out what you're drinking and what you're exploring next. So, so good. Well, if people want to connect with you, if they are in the process of studying, it sounds like you've got some virtual friends. What's the best way to reach out to you and connect with you? Yeah. So obviously, you know, we've talked about these um, different aspects of virtual um, connections. So certainly Instagram is a really great way. Shoot me a DM. Um, my Instagram handle is at bitsdames, B-I-T-Z. It's my nickname. Now everybody knows. Um, D-A-M-E-S. So B-I-T-Z-D-A-M-E-S. So yeah, shoot me a DM and then we can connect and then um, we can connect via email after that. But yeah, I'm, I want to help as many people as possible. Um, if Even if you're a consumer or if you're looking to study any of these things or you just want to chat about wine um, or hey, I love giving people wine recommendations. Um, so, you know, like my sister-in-law or my father-in-law or my, you know, my sister, they'll shoot me text messages and say, hey, I'm going to dinner. Here's the list. What do you think? Or I'm going to the store. What do you think? Because I work in the private club industry, I don't have that connection with your kind of everyday consumer. And so I feel like I miss out a little bit on that. And so please, please reach out. It's like my favorite thing when people randomly text me like, what do you think I should drink? I'm like, yes. Those are the best texts, when, especially if you can uh, screenshot the list so we can pick directly from the list for you. Always the best text, always welcome. And I'm sure you've got some great pairing recommendations, Elizabeth. So thank you so much for being part of making this community what it is. And we're lucky to have you. I'm so happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Seriously, Kelly, this has been a blast. And thank you. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at, at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers. <laughs>